The views and opinions expressed on the following program are those of the host and guests and do not necessarily reflect the policy or position of Owen TV's management, staff, or board of directors. All right, hello and welcome to Top 10. I am your host, Joe Johnson, and this is the premiere episode of Top 10, where uh, we're going to invite guests in to pick a topic and uh, discuss our top 10 favorites under whatever topic we choose. Uh, Joining me here today, flying in from Hollywood, specifically for this podcast, is my friend Kelly and uh, I invited her to come in and sit down and talk about our top 10 favorite movies of all time. Thanks for joining me. How are you doing? Thanks for having me. I'm honored to be here. Um, <laughs> doing well. No, no COVID so far. No <laughs> That's right. That I know of. You enjoying this <laughs> Michigan weather compared to uh, California weather? Uh, yes. Loving. Loving. There's nothing better than a Michigan summer. It yeah. is hot as hell in <laughs> Los Angeles right now. So yeah, I am loving and soaking up every minute. It's starting to feel like fall here, which uh, no. is my favorite time of the year. I just absolutely love it. I do too, but don't say that yet. <laughs> not ready. I want, I wish Michigan, the only bad thing about Michigan is that it isn't summer here all year long. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. But you get that in California. Um, all right. So today's topic is, is movies. Um, I practically grew up in a movie theater. Uh, movies were a cheap form of entertainment for my mom. I grew up without a dad. And so she would take us to the dollar show. And sometimes we'd see two movies, sometimes three movies in a row for a dollar. Um, and I spent an awful lot of time in movie theaters growing up, uh, watching them on television uh, and of course, when VHS came out, I built a huge collection of VHS movies, and then I had to transition to DVDs and now Blu-rays, and and uh, just movies have always been a big part of my life. They've been an escape for me, uh, where I like to go in into a theater, eat some popcorn, and and watch a movie with the crowd. That's one of my favorite things to do. Um, do you consider yourself a, a movie buff? Um, yes, probably not, uh, to the extent that you are, but I too grew up, um, watching and consuming movies as a hobby with my grandmother. We would watch marathons of Bill Kennedy at the movies on channel 50 in Detroit. And I remember watching all the old classics and just loving like the first movie I really loved and fell in love with was, um, the sting and escape to which mountain those were two of my favorites when i was when i was a little preteen kid running around now when i was young i wasn't really introduced to the classics the golden age of hollywood Uh, unless you count like i'd watch abbott and costello on the weekends three stooges um we had sir graves ghastly who introduced me to the universal monsters frankenstein dracula creature from the black lagoon um but i really didn't into the didn't get into the classic films until i was pretty much an adult 
And when Netflix used to ship DVDs, um, I took that as an opportunity uh, to get caught up on the classics. And I used um, the American Film Institute's list. They created a, a hundred greatest movie list in 1997. And I used that list to try and get caught up on the great classics. Um, and it was awesome seeing those movies for the first time and enjoying them for the first time. Uh, once I went through the uh, American Film Institute's list, I started looking at the Oscar winners and other greatest movie lists. And uh, I, I got pretty much caught up on the classics. Um, but my hundred favorite list that I created uh, after seeing the AFI list um, they're not necessarily the best movies ever made. They're my favorite movies ever made. The ones that I saw in theaters multiple times and have watched over and over and over again. And, and that's one thing I can do is I'll watch movies dozens of times. Um, I always laugh when I see someone post on social media, uh, which movies have you seen more than once? I'm like, <laughs> a lot of them. <laughs> do you watch movies repeatedly or are you like one and done? Well, it depends on the film. Yeah, my favorites, the ones that I think are take you on like the most honest uh, emotional journey, like the ones that you really are moved to the core, to the bone. Those are ones that I enjoy experiencing over and over again because it's an experience that um, really moved me and that, yeah, I like to have that over there are some movies that people consider some of the greatest ever made, which I agree with, like take uh, Shawshank Redemption or Goodfellas. Um, I've seen them. I agree that they're some of the greatest movies ever made, but they're so intense that I can't do that to myself. I can't watch them over and over and over again. Um, it's, it's tough yeah. for me to watch a movie over and over again. It has to be kind of uplifting and escapism and, fantasy, sci-fi, comedy, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So do you have a favorite genre? Um, probably sci-fi romance. Sci-fi romance. Interesting. I consider Star Wars all the, they're sci-fi romance. Yeah. They're the first ones, I think. Yes. Uh, in that Sh genre. Swashbuckling sci-fi. Sure. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I love a good drama and I love sci-fi and I love romance. Big, sweeping, romantic movies. So you like when it, all those elements come together. Preferably, yes. <laughs> but I'll take them individually. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, we're going to get into our top 10 lists. Uh, like I said, um, when the AFI created their 100 greatest movie list, I sat down and created my 100 favorite movie list. Um, so when we decided we were going to do our top 10 all-time favorites, favorite movies. I'm like, oh, I already got that. <laughs> so I just took my top 10. So let's go to number 10. We're going to count up to number one during the course of this podcast. Uh, I have a couple little sound clips that I'm going to play as we introduce movies. Uh, here is number 10 on my list. Welcome to Jurassic Park. We've made living biological attractions so astounding that they'll capture the imagination of the entire planet. The most phenomenal discovery of our time. How'd you do this? Becomes the greatest adventure of all time. Can I touch it? Sure. Universal Pictures presents. You feel that? Hold on to your butts. A Steven Spielberg film. Senses are failing all over the park. Yeah, that's nice. Gotta go. An adventure. Look out! Down! 
can't get Jurassic Park back online. 65 million years in the making. Jurassic Park. Now, way back in the early 90s, I discovered Michael Crichton's book, Jurassic Park. And I remember I was working nights and had to sit there and monitor airing TV programs and didn't have much else to do. I had to sit there. Uh, so I bought this book, took it into work, and ended up reading it like in three days. <laughs> I could not get enough of the book. I read it twice, and I'm like, this is amazing. But I never thought anyone would be able to translate that into a movie. Years later, um, they announced Steven Spielberg was going to give it a shot. And you're going to hear his name several times over the course of this list. Um, but I thought, well, if anyone can do it, it's Steven Spielberg. But I still had my doubts that they were going to be able to pull this off. Um, because at the time, the technology that existed was like stop motion animation. And that was the first kind of stab they took at trying to do the dinosaurs. Is they had, I think it was Phil Tippett who was known for stop motion animation. They said, well, let's see what you can do with stop motion. And he did some stop motion tests with some dinosaurs. And another guy, and I wish I knew the other guy's name, he said, well, let me take a stab at it with computer animation. And they were like skeptical. They're like, I don't know about this. And a guy, this guy ran the test on, on the computer animation, and, and they ended up using the line in the movie where he said, I think uh, stop motion is extinct or something like that. They kind of used that when Jeff Goldblum said it in the film. Uh, that almost ended stop motion. Uh, guys like Tim Burton, you know, they still do stop motion occasionally. But that computer animation for Jurassic Park was so groundbreaking and revolutionary and changed everything that came after it. It just had such a huge impact on the movie industry. Now, unfortunately, when I saw the movie in the theater, uh, they cut out quite a bit of the book because it's the, the production budget would have just exploded if they did everything in the book. They ended up putting some of the content of the book in subsequent movies. Um, but I was absolutely blown away. I felt like a little kid watching Jurassic Park in the theater with the T-Rex and seeing the Brachiosaurus for the first time and the raptors and everything. And I, th I think it's one of the most thrilling experiences that a, a moviegoer can have watching a movie and it instantly became one of my all-time favorite movies it came out in 1993 um what are your memories of jurassic park um i do remember being blown away by it how realistic it was with these massive dinosaurs and the sheer terror when i think they're in a makeshift kitchen or something and yeah. there's the t-rex and it's just you know sniffing them out and just my heart like leaping out of my chest <laughs> like it's just the suspense and oh the terror of those animals yeah it was it was wonderful it was captivating and it mm -hmm. just seemed larger than life the only gripe i have about the movie is the ending uh the book focuses on uh alan grant's character kind of outsmarting the raptors there was um there was a, a kind of a poison that that Jurassic Park had where if they needed to terminate a dinosaur, they would inject him with a poison. Uh, so Alan Grant had these syringes with this poison in it, and he had to somehow get up on the raptors to inject them. And so it was kind of man against beast, you know, finale at the end. In the movie, I'm, I'm, I'm like, how is this going to play out? And 
here they are, they're surrounded by the Raptors. You're thinking, how are they going to get out of this? And then the T-Rex of all things comes in to save the day. And I'm like, <laughs> I wanted to stand up in the theater and go, that's not how it ended in the book. I felt it was a bit of a cop-out, uh, even though it was, a, it was an iconic image of the T-Rex standing there and the banner falls down that says, when dinosaurs rule the earth. And it was kind of an iconic ending for anyone who didn't read the book, but it, it veered so far from how the book ended. So that was my only complaint. Other than that, um, I just thought it was a, an amazing movie. Yeah, I agree. It was. It's one that stays with you for a long time after. Definitely. All right. What do you got for us? What have you brought to the table? What is number 10 on your list? Well, I decided to just go back to one of the early movies that completely terrified me when I was young, watching the black and white films with my grandmother. And these two actresses, um, let's see, Joan Crawford and Betty Davis in Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. Oh, I remember that one, yeah. And I was young, probably way too young to be watching <laughs> this film. And it, oh, it terrorized me. And still to this day, it just, there's a scene where... Betty Davis's character who's aging and she's desperately trying to hang on to her youth and she's psychotic and she is so brilliant in this role and dresses up like kind of like a baby doll Mm -hmm. and she's losing her mind and her sister uh, played by Joan Crawford um, can't remember exactly I think she's injured and she's wheelchair bound if I remember correctly yeah Yeah, so she's dependent on her sister for care yeah yeah, and her sister just completely cuts her off from all society yeah. and um, gets angry with her uh, and serves her up. I don't remember if it was a pet or a rat. It might have been a rat or I a cat. I think she serves up a rat, I believe. For dinner, yeah. yes. And I just remember thinking, oh, <laughs> dear Lord, this movie has taken a turn. I don't think I'm ready for the adult world. This is nuts yeah and i but it was just so well acted so well done and it was a vehicle for these women to i think kind of reignite their career or at least you know have one one more uh blockbuster like kind of you know successful film as as these um careers were in their golden years yeah and i just remember being blown away by that movie and the chill that it gave me and the just the psychological drama of these two women and, and the situation that they found themselves in. And yeah, I loved it. Yeah. I, I remember, I think I was pretty young when I saw it. I, and I think I only saw it the one time because it, it impacted me, you know, so severely, you know, the cruelty yeah. of, of the character. And, <laughs> and I saw it that one time and I was like, I never want to see this again. Um, but they were acting showcases like the, these actresses put on clinics um, I have no idea. Do you know if it won any awards? Were they nominated for anything or? I don't recall. Um, I didn't do any research for this podcast today, unfortunately, but, um, they should have, I, I hope that, you know, they were nominated, uh, both of them for their, for their roles, for their acting. Yeah. It was, it was refreshing. I think looking back, you know, I've watched it again, like to see women playing, complex psychological roles that aren't just the nice, you know, subordinate wife or just really layered dramatic roles. I thought it was significant 
in Hollywood that these women dared to kind of take yeah. on these kinds of roles. I thought it was great. What's that test where uh, they judge a movie on a test about whether or not the female characters talk about men and, and romance? Do you know what I'm talking about? No. I'm going to have to look that up. It's it's a test that they give these movies, and, and that movie passes the test because it's not mm. two women talking about men and romance and right. finding Mr. Right. And, and it's it's so refreshing when you do see a movie that's not that doesn't revolve around that, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So, all right, good pick. Uh, number nine on my list. Go back to the sound clips here. Everyone will recognize this. There is a creature alive today who has survived millions of years of evolution without change, without passion, and without logic. It lives to kill. A mindless eating machine. It will attack and devour anything. It is as if God created the devil and gave him Jaws. That is a movie, like you said, I probably saw when I was way too young. I was nine years old when Jaws came out, and I have vivid memories of seeing it in the theater I remember one scene when a uh, scuba diver's underwater and a boat had sunk and there was a hole in the boat. And as he goes up to pry the tooth out of the boat, uh, this head comes out of the hole in the boat. And I'll never forget the audience reaction, the, the, the scream of the entire theater. And I remember my popcorn flying. Um, it was absolutely terrifying. And I remember the impact that it had that summer where People were afraid to go into the water. Um, It had such a huge impact, and it basically created the summer blockbuster. Like when Jaws came out, the movie industry thought, well, nobody wants to sit in the theater in the middle of summer. They want to go to the beach. They want to recreate. Uh, Little did they know that when they released Jaws during the summer, it was a smash hit, and studios started releasing their tentpole movies uh, early summer to people, they realized that people wanted to get out of the heat, go into the air conditioning, have popcorn, escape, be entertained. Um, and Jaws kind of started all that and it kind of launched the career of Steven Spielberg. Uh, during production of this film, they thought it was going to be a disaster because nothing was working right, the shark wasn't working right. So they ended up being forced to have to keep the shark underwater and you just see the fin you know because the stupid mechanical shark didn't work half the time um and then of course that score you heard the music john williams score uh i remember hearing a story where uh steven spielberg approached john williams and said "Uh, how's the score coming along and he goes oh i got something i want you to hear this and he sat on the uh, the keyboard and he just hit those two notes dum dum and Steven Spielberg started laughing, and he was like, no, really, uh, what's the score? And he goes, no, that's what I'm going to write the score around. And it was iconic. I mean, yeah. something about those notes. Da, 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 it's da. like a heartbeat. Yeah, like exactly. Yeah, yeah, and it kind of controls the pace of your heartbeat. Um, so, again, I have vivid memories of seeing this movie in theaters, and uh, I, I'll watch it every time it's on. If I'm flipping through channels and it happens to be on, I'll sit and watch it. The acting is just over, I mean, it's just 
great uh, Roy Scheider and Richard Dreyfus. I mean, it's just oh, just yeah. amazing performances across the board. Um, and in my opinion, one of the greatest movies ever made. Um, what are your memories of Jaws? Well, I'm still afraid of sharks going <laughs> swimming in the ocean. <laughs> Aren't we all? Yes. Yes. Yeah, no, again, it, it, same terrified. Um, it was so brilliantly done, and it just really felt, again, like one of those breakout films that broke a model somehow, and, and here you have man versus beast. Yeah. And, you know, going after this shark. And, oh, it, I did it kill any of the children? I think it did. Didn't Not, it? Or well, no? there was, in the first movie, there was a boy who was on a yellow raft who got killed. Okay. And then his mother ended up slapping uh, Chief Brody across the face because he had known the shark was out there. But the politician convinced him, you know, it's 4th of July. We can't close the beaches. Right. So the boy got killed, and when the mother found out that they knew about the shark but didn't close the beaches. Um, yeah. So that was one of the victims was a child okay. in the first one. Um, but, yeah, uh, and then, of course, Robert Shaw, uh, who was in there. And uh, this is the performance he gives. Like when he tells the story of the Indianapolis, how it, it sunk and uh, and the, the, the crewmen were thrown into the water and they got picked off one by one by sharks. And the story that he tells, you know, it, it had black eyes, like <laughs> doll's eyes, you know, and it's like, woo, yeah. that, that performance was amazing. Um, so, yeah, just yeah. Uh, just such a great movie with great performances all around. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Definitely. All right. What do you got for number nine on your list? Um, I think for number nine, I will just go with one of my favorite, fun, uplifting classic comedies um there's something about mary oh yeah i can watch that's another movie i can watch you know every year like clockwork or anytime you need a fun little boost it's just it's light and bright and fresh cameron diaz was such a breath of fresh air when mm -hmm. she came on to the screen in that role and the whole movie just feels like a, a shot of happy drugs you know like yeah. it's Ben Stiller, uh, yeah. so good, so good, especially the scene when he goes to pick her up for prom and is in the bathroom and there's the little song and he's seeing her, you know, try on her prom dress and he, he, oh, yeah. he the mom see the mom and Cameron Diaz's kid, Mary see him and think that he's like jerking off to them and he gets How'd all you get flustered the above the Franks. <laughs> right. Remember that line. I mean, it's, I think it was the Coen brothers, right? I believe that. so, yeah, I yeah. I have to check that, but, like, the comedy was just, it was genius. It was funny. It's timeless. I loved Matt Dillon's character. Yeah. With that the, was kind of a comeback role for, for Matt him. Dillon. Yeah. Because he was big in the 80s, and then we didn't hear from him for a little while, and then he came wow. back in that movie. It yes. made Ben Stiller a household name. Um, yes. Even though Ben Stiller had done, you know, like, some television comedy and stuff, but that movie transformed him into a movie star. Uh, and then Cameron yeah. Diaz, you know, her premiere, her debut was The Mask. Mask yeah. And she was beautiful in that, but she wasn't given a whole lot to do. It wasn't right. much of a showcase for her. Right. Um, but, yeah, something about Mary was her showcase. Like, she was yeah. so likable. Like, and you funny. just cheered yeah. for her. Yeah. Yeah, she was, you know, independent. She had her life. She had her chiropractor business. Yeah. Things were great. 
And these two guys come along vying <laughs> for her and all sorts of comedy ensues. And I just, I love it. I just, I think it's a, a beautiful, fun, romantic comedy. I love it. And so many great moments and lines in that movie. Yes. Like, uh, <laughs> like when they are introduced to Brett Favre. He's like, that's Brett Favre. <laughs> Favre, yes. You didn't know how to pronounce it. And yes. poor little dog in the body oh. cast, you know. And, <laughs> yes, the crazy um, neighbor, the older lady <laughs> that's like a sun goddess. <laughs> oh, it was, it, yeah, it had so many gags. And oh, and then the crazy, um, she had the... The guy who was obsessed with her. The stalker, right? yeah. Yes, and yep. like, uh, Chris, what is his name? Um, I can't remember the actor's name who played uh, him, but he's so then good. he like then he fake a faked an injury or something like. I think so. Wasn't that movie like he he kind of pretended that he had um, some sort of disability or to, whatever? That turned, yeah, yeah, yeah. To have her uh, probably <laughs> operate on him or yeah. something. Yeah, yeah. No, it was great. Yeah. Boy, was that a blockbuster when it came out. It and, was. and it's so, I don't know, like I said, one of my favorite genres is comedies. And I love when a comedy comes along that is just huge, just a blockbuster that everybody embraces. And man, that movie was huge. Yeah, that was, that was yeah. a blockbuster for sure. I need to revisit that. I have it on DVD at home. I'm going to have to watch that again. Um, all one. right. Um, not my next movie came out in 1984. The year I graduated high school. Come in, Ray. Pittman! I saw it, I saw it, I saw it! It's right here, Ray. It's looking at me. He's an ugly little spud, isn't he? I think he can hear you, Ray. Don't move. It won't hurt you. Slime me. Such a great line. Mm. You know, I, I grew up just worshiping Bill Murray. Um, loved him on Saturday Night Live, of course. And then his first movie was Meatballs. And I was like, <laughs> I want to be Bill Murray. I, I absolutely worshiped Bill Murray. Um, and then he in the 80s, he just had hit after hit after hit. Um, but I don't think any of his movies surpass the popularity of Ghostbusters. That was such a huge phenomenon when it came out, and it and it married horror and comedy so perfectly that you have to go back to like Abbott and Costello meets Frankenstein, where you have this perfect blend of horror and comedy that so many movies tried to emulate in later years, but Ghostbusters just captured it so perfectly and so so perfectly cast. And and memorable lines and scenes and and the effects were were groundbreaking, um, and then you know Rick Moranis and Sigourney Weaver and and, oh, and all the actors. I mean, boy, was this movie a phenomenon, and it it's just great. I mean, it still holds up today. Um, what a great great movie. Uh, what are your memories of, of Ghostbusters? Just you know, again fond memories of seeing something that just complete I was completely enthralled by and captivated by and uh, it was such a fun ride this movie it was silly it wasn't too scary 
and the performances, the, the actors are just icons, they're legends, and to have them together is just such good fun. I, yeah, I loved it. Still, yeah. still love it. Like you said, it still holds up. Yep. Harold Ramis, Dan Aykroyd. And um, Dan Aykroyd wrote it, I believe, with Harold Ramis. And he's just kind of a geek when it comes to all the terminology and the gizmos and everything. So everything is like based on science, you know, the ectoplasm and all the gears and all the, the, the that they created to capture ghosts is all kind of based on science. And I think that really <laughs> makes uh, the movie is, is that it, it yeah. feels real. Like there really can be these guys out there running around capturing ghosts. Yeah. So, yeah. And we can't neglect Ernie Hudson uh, who came in, I guess originally Ernie Hudson's role um, was written f- uh, for Eddie Murphy and Eddie Murphy turned it down. And when Ernie Hudson signed on, he thought he was going to be in at the beginning and be one of the four main Ghostbusters. But when Eddie Murphy backed out, they ended up paring down that role quite a bit. And Ernie Hudson doesn't appear until like halfway through the film. So he was a little disappointed that the role got sort of diminished. Um, but I still think he makes a great contribution uh, to the movie. Yeah. Um, and just, again, one of my all-time favorites. Agreed. So, all right, number eight on your list. Number eight on my list, I'm going to go with one of my favorite movies that I can watch all the time. I, it's called uh, Clouds of Sils Maria. Never heard of it. And it's Juliette Binoche. It was written for her, I believe. Um, I think the director is Oliver Sayas. I can't recall the year it came out. It was within maybe the last 10 years. Sorry again, researched on here. But, <laughs> it's all from memory. But um, it's it's a slice of life kind of film. Like remember Shortcuts? That's one of my favorite films too. But like about this woman who's um, an aging actress, and uh, it's about loss. It's about identity. Um, it's about uh, I think just facing your fears. And uh, reinventing yourself, you know, when you get to be 50 or in your midlife and you're an actress or Mm. even if you're not, you're kind of looking at your life differently. Mm -hmm. And what do I want for the next, you know, five chapters of my life? And it it just felt so real. It's this realism that I love in this film. You feel like right from the get-go, the film opens um, on a scene where Kristen Stewart, who plays Juliet Binoche's uh, assistant. Oh, okay. It's This is starting to sound familiar now. I remember hearing about this. Yeah. Yeah. They're on a train and they're going to accept this award for a friend of, of hers who can't be there to receive it. And then they get news that he's just died. Mm. And so then it changes, um, you know, the whole event now uh, uh, that's going to be honoring him has takes a different turn but and she eventually goes to stay at the house where he lived and she's rehearsing to play the older lead role in a um in a I think it's a play that she had starred in as the young ingenue early in her career and now she's going back and playing the older uh character and it's hard for her to realize she's now you know taking on these roles of the older um, 
character, I guess. I yeah. I'm at a loss for words for some reason right now. <laughs> but um, but yeah, she um, she's so brilliant in this role, and Kristen Stewart is really good, and the relationship that they have is so intense while they're kind of, you know, in this beautiful Swiss landscape and rehearsing this play, and sometimes the dialogue that they're reading seems almost as if it's the subtext is they are arguing with one another and not even really they're reading the lines but it's so close to the reality of what they're going through Mm. together that um it seems as if it's personal and uh chloe grace moretz is in it and she's great kind of another uh young version of hollywood and the paparazzi and Mm. all the kind of the negative side that comes with that yeah um Anyway, I just I found it to be such a wonderful human uh, dissection at a crossroads in someone's life, and it was just so real. I just felt like I was there in the room or with them the entire time. It has such a mood and a feel. I loved it. I remember when I first heard about that movie, I put it on my to-do list. I wanted to see it, and for some Mm -hmm. reason, I never got around to seeing it. Yeah, you'll Um, have to check it out. All right. I'll have to bump that up my list. It's yeah. visually stunning too. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah. So. Awesome. Yeah. And I love movies about you know the inside workings of Hollywood and stuff. So those are movies I really enjoy watching. So yeah, yeah. There's yeah. a lot of that, so you'd enjoy it. Awesome. All right. Next up on my list is a movie that uh, I had never seen anything like it before, and I've never seen anything like it since. Uh, here's a little bit of the trailer. Just drop the refrigerator in my head one more time. Roger, I dropped it on your head 23 times already. I can take it. Don't worry about me. I'm not worried about you. I'm worried about the refrigerator. This is the tale of an up-and-coming movie star named Roger Rabbit and a down-and-out private detective Stay named Eddie Valiant. Booga booga. Every moment they were together ah! was a new adventure in trouble. Hi, me, Eddie. <laughs> It's a motion picture about friendship. Love. Compassion. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry I yanked your ears. All the time you yanked my ears? Murder. Marvin Acme. A rabbit cacked him last night. Remember, you never saw me. Sex. I'd do anything for my husband, Mr. Valiant. Anything. <laughs> All right. Um... Again, I have vivid memories of, uh, this came out in 1988. I have vivid memories of, of getting a group of friends together to go see it. We were kind of excited about it because my friends and I were big animation fans, love Bugs Bunny and Disney and all that stuff. Um, and to see those animated characters all come together on the screen, to see um, Bugs Bunny and Mickey Mouse sharing the screen together um, and addition to all the original characters that, that they created for this film and interacting, uh, the, the animated characters with the live action characters and the technology and timing that went into doing that. This movie was absolutely just mind blowing. Um, plus it was just a good noir film, like a whodunit sort of a thing. Yeah. Um, and it's, there's a maturity to it. There's, some lines and references in there where you're like, oh, <laughs> this, is, this isn't a kiddie movie, you know? And um, again, I've never seen anything like it before since. And there's been talk of a sequel that 
has never happened. I don't think ever will happen. I don't know how you can possibly pull something like that off. So it's just sort of a one and done kind of a movie that um, is just sort of, uh, it was just captured in that moment that a lot of things came together that allowed that movie to happen um, that you'll never see happen again. You'll never see Disney um, on screen with Warner Brothers characters at the same time. It just won't happen anymore. I'm amazed they pulled that off. Um, And so, yeah, that movie is an absolute blast. It's so much fun. Um, Yeah, what are your memories? I, I just remember being, yeah, really impressed with the technology and um, blown away by it. But I I don't have any other memories by it except, like, technically. I don't think I was that moved or enthralled by the film, but I thought it um, visually it was stunning. Yeah. 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 Oh, man. it's uh, i got to watch that one again. <laughs> All righty. What's next on your list? Um. Well, one of my favorite movies that spawned an obsession was Rebel Without a Cause oh, with yeah. the lovely Classic. James Dean and, um, oh my gosh, I'm forgetting her name. Natalie uh, Wood. Natalie Wood, yes, yeah. thank you. And, oh, and the the other gentleman that was in it with them. Oh, I forget his name. So um, good at the end. Oh, it's... Three um, of them in the house. It'll come to me as you talk. Uh, I'll... But, I'll think of it. Oh, that movie. I loved it. I, I Right from the get-go, there's a scene where James Dean, immediately you watch him writhing around on this cobblestone, you know, street outside, I think, the, the police station. And he's in so much pain and angst and feels misunderstood and not seen or heard. Um, and he's kind of, he's drunk and he's just like, you know, in his head, in his own little world Mm -hmm. and having his own little moment. And right from the get go right there, you're like, wow, this is someone to just behold here. This is a true talent, the depth of of the reach that he can go deep into Mm -hmm. this raw emotion and freely express that and let you into that. I was blown away, and I became an instant fan. And I, I just loved the film. I loved Natalie Wood's character. I loved how she, you know, both characters yearn to have the love of their fathers and the mm. approval and the validation that they just don't get. Mm. And Natalie Wood's father, you know, only will love her if she stays this pretty obedient, subordinate, you know, woman on track to be a housewife. And she rebels against that. And James Dean, his dad, just is has no backbone and never stands up to his mother and never defends himself um, oh. or, you know, him and him rebelling against that. And this whole generation of teenagers who, who just seemed to be uh, at this transitional time in history where they, they are waking up to the reality of the world and they're not happy with it and they're not happy with the role that they're being forced to play mm-hmm. and they're rebelling against that. And I just loved it and I thought it was so beautiful and the ending is so moving and all of it. it again, it's to me, it's a masterpiece. Yeah. Just love it from start to finish. The uh, actor you're trying to come up with, his name is Sal Minio. Yes, Sal Minio. Thank you. And, you know, yes. a lot of people say that that movie was cursed because Sal Minio, James Dean, and Natalie Wood all had tragic... Uh, 
endings where uh, promising lives were cut short. And yeah. as a lot of people may or may not know, uh, James Dean had done East of Eden, and that was released while he was still alive. Mm-hmm. Um, but then he did Rebel Without a Cause, followed by Giant. But yeah. before Rebel can be released, he was killed in the car crash. And so Rebel and Giant came out after his death and and created this this phenomenon where people were sending fan letters to the studios for someone who wasn't even alive anymore. And, yeah. and it just kind of took on this, this uh, tone, this mood that kind of elevated him from an actor to like this legend, you know? And yeah. so we only had those three movies uh, under his belt um, before we lost them. And he just can't help but, but wonder looking at those performances. I actually love East of Eden more I- I, I love East of Eden. I do too. I want yeah. to put that on my list too because that's another one that I can watch over and over. And I, I love the story. I love the struggle of the brothers. It's a classic. Yeah. Yeah. So you just can't help but wonder what might have been had he not died in the car crash. I think I know. his next movie that was lined up after Giant was a boxing movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I think it was called Somebody Up There Likes Me or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you just can't help but wonder what might have been. Um, I know. Yeah. Such now, a shame. one interesting little trivia is the mansion that uh, they go to in the movie with the uh, empty pool. Uh, if I remember correctly, that's the same mansion and pool that we see in um, Sunset Boulevard, ah. uh, where William Holden is floating in the pool. Um, unfortunately, that mansion has, has been demolished, demolished since yeah. then. That would have been a really cool a place to visit, but oh, sure. yeah, little, little Hollywood history there. But yeah. yeah. And then of course I got to mention as far as locations go in that movie, the, the, uh, the observatory yes. observatory plays such oh. a prominent role in that with the knife fight and, 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 Love that and all the stuff at the, the end. So, um, when you visit the observatory, they got the bust of James Dean there yeah. and it hasn't changed all that much in all these years. So no. yeah. Yeah. Pretty neat. Yeah. All right. That's a good one. Um, next up on my list, um, most people, when they hear this, will be like, oh, yeah, I get it. Just hits you right in the heart. <laughs> this is the third Steven Spielberg movie on my list. Uh, not the last one, but... um. I, I again, I have vivid memories of seeing it in the theater, and the reason is this: my sisters and my cousins had already seen ET. I kind of, for some reason, dismissed it as like a kiddie film. I was, I was like, eh, I don't know if I really? need to see this movie. Huh. And so they said, "You got to see this movie," and I'm like, ah, I don't know if it's for me. And they said, "No," and they basically dragged me to the theater to see this movie. And the moment I remember is when ET gets sick and Elliot like finds him in the ditch. I remember my sisters and my cousins were all lined up to my left and I turn and look at them and they're all watching me as tears are streaming down my cheeks. Oh. I cried hard oh. in ET. Oh. Woo, man. Wow. And, um, that movie was absolutely amazing. It just spoke to me. Um, Steven Spielberg and I, I don't know. I think we just have same sort of interests and sensibilities that he he creates things that I feel like he's making just for me. Mm. And E.T. was one of those movies. Um, just, uh, man, that just changed a lot. It was yeah. the highest grossing movie for a number of years. I seem to recall, 
I interviewed Henry Thomas, who played Elliot, and I, he said that E.T. was the highest grossing movie, I think, until Titanic came out, if I remember correctly. Um, but man, what a blockbuster. Uh, what are your what are your memories of E.T.? Oh, just, yeah, I get chills and I cry when I think about <laughs> it. And I just, I, it's to me so stunning that you can be so moved by this little alien <laughs> creature and a young Drew Barrymore yeah. and the love and the bond between those two characters. And it just, oh, when she has to say goodbye to him yeah. or or, you know, even when she's uh, at home with him and uh, just teaching him, I don't know, words or new candy, whatever. Yeah. I can't recall. But and dressing him up. Yes. <laughs> like, it's just so heartfelt. And yeah. just the sentiment about home and how special that is. And, um, yeah, it gives me chills whenever I think about it. That's a movie that is timeless. Yeah. You know, that's one gift that Steven Spielberg has is, is making these movies that don't seem like fantasy. It yeah. seems real. Like yeah. you could really find this little alien running around and it's so believable and you care about this, this character. You care you know? so deeply. You're just bawling like a child when he yeah. leaves and goes home. <laughs> and I told, uh, I, I made a point of telling Henry Thomas when I interviewed him, I said, in my opinion, as far as child performances go in movies, I think his portrayal of Elliot in this movie is one of the greatest child performances mm -hmm. in movie history. Yeah. He was top brilliant. 10. Definitely. Yeah. When you think about child performances, others might include like the sixth sense. Um, I'm drawing a blank on that actor's name in the sixth sense. Um, but you know, there were some really outstanding child performances over the years and, and Henry Thomas's Elliot is right up there. Yeah, he was, so. he was, he was fantastic. Yeah. All right. What's next on your list? Um, let's see. I'm kind of debating going back and forth, but I think, um, I will go with in the mood for love. Again, one um, I'm not familiar with. What's the premise? So good. Okay. Um, these two couples move into the same apartment building. I don't know the neighborhood in China or this, I can't recall, but they move into the same apartment building and, um, both of their spouses are busy with work quite a, a bit. So this husband of one couple and the wife of the other end up getting to know each other and hanging around as friends. You know, they go to the same noodle shop and they have similar interests. And then they find out that their spouses are having an affair with mm. each other. Mm. And it's devastating. Um, but they have grown to have this affection and this bond with each other over getting to know each other and they're falling for each other and they clearly are in love with each other, but they will not, they make a pact like we will not stoop to the lows that our spouses did and, you know, break our marriage vows. Mm. So they continue to be friends and spend time together even while their spouses are having their affair huh. and then eventually um one of the couples is moving out of the country and there comes to a point where they might you know have to take a risk to be together hmm. or not but they decide not to um anyway it it's this unrequited love story that uh they miss each other later on and it just breaks your heart. It's another one of these realistic like films that you just 
feel like you're in it and it's such a mood and the cinematography is so artful it's so fantastic mm. the colors and the angles the the scenes the shots the way they're set up you just it all adds the music like the mood the feeling of this burning this yearning for <laughs> this person and not wanting to morally cross that line mm. and the isolation and the loneliness too that they both you know go through it's fantastic mm. and it's visually stunning i just loved that movie you know, I always find it refreshing when you see a movie that doesn't necessarily conform to like the happy Hollywood ending. Yes. A lot of people expect that happy Hollywood ending and, and that they're going to get together at the end. And yeah. when it doesn't happen, some people get angry, you know, kind of right. like La La Land. Yes. You know, like you, <laughs> you want them to get together and they don't. Yeah. And I thought it was very refreshing and moving while other people were like, oh, that's stupid. I can't believe they didn't get together, but oh. I like when movies kind of deviate from what we've seen yeah. before, you know? It's realistic. This mm. is real life. And I know some people say, well, we don't go to the movies <laughs> to experience real life. You know, we <laughs> want the happy ending. But to me, it's more profound when it is yeah. the more realistic ending. And you, you know, it's okay to have an audience experience pain or loss. Exactly. It's fine. It's yeah. a, the human experience that we're dissecting here. And, you know, exploring so it's kind I of love the, it i compare it to almost like being on a roller coaster where you know you experience the thrill and the danger and the fear of being on a roller coaster knowing that you're safe and you're tucked in and you're going to get off that ride at the end yeah. to me movies are the same thing you laugh you cry you get angry and yeah. and hate and love and then you come out of there and it's like stepping off a roller coaster so yeah. as you described the movie it kind of reminded me of another movie that i saw years ago that i love called the bridges of madison county do you ever mm. see bridges of madison county oh yes it's kind of the same yeah. deal where they have the the romance but then at the end when she has to uh when is it meryl streep yes in meryl streep and clint, clint eastwood, eastwood yeah when she's like forced to make that she sees him standing in the rain and she puts her hand on the car door yeah and you, you're like open the car door go and she yeah. doesn't do oh, it and it's, it's like oh, oh it just breaks your heart because you yeah. were rooting for them because they had this pure true love but no she's gonna honor her marriage yeah so. yeah mm. oh. all right <laughs> Next on my list. What number are we on? Uh, let's see. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5. This is number 5 on my list. Okay. Uh, this is a sequel, which uh, many, many people say may have surpassed the original. Um, that create, that uh, it, it provides some of the greatest lines and one of the greatest movie moments of all time. Here's, here's that movie moment. Obi-Wan never told you what happened to your father. He told me enough. He told me you killed him. No. I am your father. So, of course, that's the scene in The Empire Strikes Back, the eagerly anticipated sequel to Star Wars. And uh, as a kid, uh, I, was, I was 10 years old when Star Wars came out. I was 14 when, uh, or maybe not quite 14, when Empire Strikes Back came out. And when they announced they were doing a sequel to Star Wars, oh my yeah. gosh, that's all anyone can talk about. I was buying the fan magazines and looking for pictures and information. <laughs> and then it finally came out. And um, a lot, like I said, a lot of people feel that it surpassed the original. It had more depth, more emotion. And if you look at the entire trilogy of Star Wars, Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, a lot of, a lot of plays, a lot of movies are broken into three acts and usually the second act is dark. 
there's conflict, there's fighting, there's, you know, disappointment. And the entire movie is dark. It's a dark second act. Luke gets his butt kicked repeatedly throughout the movie. Yeah. Um, the heroes uh, go through a lot of stuff, and and uh, the rebels kind of run with their tails between their, their legs. So it was unlike anything anyone expected, and the effects were taken to a new level with the Imperial Walkers and all that stuff. Um, and, uh, it was revolutionary. It was, uh, again, one of the greatest sequels I think, uh, ever made. Uh, are you a star Wars fan and what are your memories of, uh, the empire strikes back? Oh yes. I think I saw that movie probably 10 times in the theater. Wow. Bless my mom's heart. <laughs> um, we saw the first one in 1977, seven times. And then did this come out in 1980? 1980, yeah. And yeah, I think we saw it 10 times. Like I it was again, it it's so it it just makes you feel like you have left the earth and gone to this other world for a few hours and you're so in love and you love these characters and you're rooting for them and it's it's so captivating and and all encompassing and you you just can't get enough of it. I just remember being <laughs> being blown away. And yes, this was the better. I thought of the three, it was my favorite. I loved mm -hmm. the was it the Dagobah, like the swamp. Yeah, that's where the we're introduced to Yoda. And yeah. Yes, Yoda, and like <laughs> oh, and Luke, like learning his powers, and yeah. then, oh yes, it it was. It was emotionally gripping. Like the first one was fantastic it's the wonder and awe of this new world and the story and then the second one really digs in deep to your heart and yeah gets you again my one minor complaint and and the reason that i i don't rank this above star wars was the ending so imagine we've waited three years for this movie i'm watching the movie i'm getting into it i'm absolutely loving it and they're like, all right, uh, Han's frozen in carbonite. We're all going to rendezvous with Tatooine and save him. And I'm like, this is getting great. And then the credits roll. And it's like, <laughs> no, knowing that I'm going to have to wait three yeah. years to see how this is going to resolve. And again, so I'm, yeah, I'm 13, 14 years old. Like, That's an eternity. I'm going to be like 17 when Return <laughs> of the Jedi comes out and... At that point, you know, after Empire, I was done collecting the toys. Like I was mature now, and oh. um, but that my only gripe was was that cliffhanger ending. You know, like with the Harry mm -hmm. Potter movies, we pretty much got one every year, didn't we? And so, if a movie ended on a cliffhanger, you knew the next one was not too far behind. Um, but this one, movies when they did sequels, it took years for the sequels to, to come out. And I remember that three years between Empire and Return of the Jedi was just excruciating. Yeah, it was. It was a <laughs> long time to wait. That. That, that was really cruel and unfair <laughs> to do that. At least at the end of Star Wars, we weren't expecting a sequel. It kind of ended on a happy note. Yeah. For Empire, we knew there was going to be a sequel yes. and we had to wait for it. Yes. And All I, right. I love that line. Um, that little piece of trivia where Harrison Ford kind of ad-libbed yeah. his line. The, I love you, I know. She says, I love you, and he's like, I know. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. great. And and yeah. I feel like Star Wars is at its best when someone else takes the reins. Uh, 
George Lucas did not direct Empire Strikes Back. It was directed by a, a director named Irvin Kirshner, who I mm. believe, I want to say he directed Carrie, I think. Um, but it seems like when someone else gets to play in that sandbox that George Lucas created, magic happens. That's what's yeah. happening now with the, the Mandalorian series on Disney Plus, oh, is right. other people are playing with the characters that George Lucas has created and, and they're creating magic. So yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. What's next on your list? Oh my gosh. I'm drawing a blank. <laughs> I left my list at home <laughs> and I had a solid, you know, top five and now I can't remember. But um, I, I know one of them. I don't, this wasn't num- my number five, but Another one of my favorite, favorite movies is another Betty Davis film called All About Eve. Okay. Oh, it's so good. There's betrayal and there's, again, identity crisis and there's, you know, uh, actress and actress like trying to go for it to become famous and take out anyone in her way. Um, which is the young Eve character and Betty Davis is in her way and she steals her man and she steals <laughs> her career and Betty Davis is not having any of it. And yeah. it spawns one of the um, famous lines of buckle up. It's going to be a bumpy night. Yeah. That's a great line. Yeah. One of the all time great lines. I yeah. don't think I said it exactly, but it's along those lines. Yeah. yeah. And it's, Oh, you just, she's so commanding in that role and it's, it has everything. It's um, narrated uh, at opens at like a kind of like a, an award film award ceremony and the narrators telling you about the characters mm. and the Sarah can't remember if it's a Sarah Lawrence award or whatever. Um, and Eve is winning and you see the starlet and then you find the backstory of how devious she is. And she pretended to be so innocent and sidled right up to Betty Davis and became her best friend. And actually, um, it, it's a great film about the sometimes darker sides of close female friendships right. and that jealousy. And that competition that comes out, oh, it's just so rich with that and so well done. I the love it. Other actresses, Ann Baxter, is that who the other actress is? Um, gosh, I can't remember. I can't remember. I know Marilyn Monroe um, has a, a small. She's at a role party, at right? At the party, yes. Yeah. She's another ingenue who is trying to make connections at this party at. Betty Davis's house. And I can't remember if her boyfriend is William Holden. I forget who plays her boyfriend. He's great too. George Sanders, Betty Davis and Baxter is right. George Sanders. Oh, George Sanders. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Gosh. And then they have to, you know, it's, it, it's a longer movie. It seems like so much happens and then they're plotting like, you know, to try to get um, Betty's uh, career back on track and reveal Eve for who she really is. Yeah. And um, it's, again, a kind of a darker side of Hollywood and what it can do to people and how it can, you know, create this uh, illusion and, and change people who mm-hmm. get lost in the power of fame. Yeah, that was one of the movies that uh, when I was getting the DVDs through Netflix and I was trying to get caught up on my classics, that's one of the movies that I got. And I enjoyed it. Um, and I remember that plot twist where, you know, um, 
Eve was Ann Baxter's character, right? Yeah. And so she was kind of like this goody goody yeah. you're kind of rooting for. And then all of a sudden there's that plot twist yeah. where you're like, wow, she's not as nice as I thought mm. she was. So it's all yeah. just a front. Yeah. 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 All right. Yeah. That's a classic a good one. Now you've had a couple movies on your list that came out before you were born. I only have one movie on my top 10 that came out before I was born. And this is a no brainer. In Kansas anymore. I'll get you, my pretty, and your little dog, too. I'm not afraid of her. I'll see you reach the wizard. I'll see the wizard, the wonderful wizard of Oz. My little party's just beginning. Bring me that girl and her dog. Now, fly! I'm trying to get home to you. We've come such a long way. The wizard will fix everything. Put him up. Put him up. There is no place like home. I am Ooh, I got goosebumps. Oh. <laughs> Man, you know this, I've seen this movie probably more than any other movie. Um, when I was a kid, this was shown annually on, uh, I don't know if it was Easter or Christmas, but it was like an annual event where the family would gather around the TV and we would count down the days to Wizard of Oz. We would watch it over and over and over again. Um, and then, of course, it's released on video and DVD and all that stuff. Uh, as a matter of fact, I just watched it like weeks ago, and it just breezes by. Like It doesn't feel like it's 90 minutes long or whatever. It feels like it's 30 minutes. It goes by... Mm so quickly and i know all the lines and every beat and every moment and and every gaff and every mistake and everything i know the movie so intimately um and it's one of my all-time favorite movies um as a matter of fact it's uh 81st anniversary is um next week oh, uh wow. it premiered at grandma's chinese theater on the august 15th in 1939 but it had its general release on August 25th. Um, and most of uh, film historians consider it the most watched movie in film history. More people wow. have seen the wizard of Oz than any other movie. And 1939 was an amazing year for movies. They consider it one of the greatest movie years of all time. In addition to wizard of Oz gone with the wind, Mr. Smith goes to Washington mm -hmm. Stagecoach, which introduced the world to, to John Wayne. That was his breakout role. And a movie I just watched recently, Gunga Din with Cary Grant. Mm. Um, now, due to Wizard of Oz's high production costs, it actually lost money initially, uh, even though it was critically acclaimed and kids loved it and everybody loved it. Um, it lost money initially until 10 years later, it finally turned a profit in 1949. Um, took home two Oscars for Over the Rainbow and The Score, um, and then Judy Garland got an honorary juvenile uh, Oscar. She was 16 when wow. um, production began on Wizard of Oz. It's um, but it's, it's one of the most iconic movies of all time. So many great lines and images and moments and performances. Um, it's just one of my it's, favorite movies. It's so magical. It's mm -hmm. just transformative, and the message is great. Again, these, I love these films about, <laughs> you know, with great messages about being yourself and being grateful for what you have and, and your home and like, you know, 
valuing those things and the people in your life and not taking them for granted. And I love the scene where um, the Oz, the great Oz, is revealed to be this short little man with all his little <laughs> bells and whistles, you know, behind the scenes. and Pay no attention to that man <laughs> behind the curtain. <laughs> it's such a metaphor for so many things. But, yeah, I... I loved it. It's like it's hard to believe she was only sixteen. Yeah, it's just the talent. Yeah, you know. Oh, yeah, the voice. The voice. And, the, the, and they almost cut uh, over the rainbow out of the movie. They thought it slowed it down, but uh, but people loved it, so they said, "All right, we'll keep it in." And many people <laughs> consider it the greatest movie song of all time. Yeah. Um, and also, I took part in a podcast uh, maybe a year or so ago where we talked about the greatest movie props of all time, mm. and number one. On my list. The ruby slippers. What have you done with them? Give them back to me or I'll. It's too late. <laughs> there they are and there they'll stay. <sighs> Give me back my slippers. I'm the only one that knows how to use them. They're no use to you. Give them back to me. Give them back. Keep tight inside of them. Their magic must be very powerful or she wouldn't want them so badly. Is there a prop more iconic than the ruby slippers? I can't think of one. Man. No. There's a couple of pairs that are uh, still in existence today. There's a pair at um, the Smithsonian Institute, and there's a couple in private hands. Uh, One pair was on loan to the Judy Garland Museum and got stolen, and uh, they were missing for about 11 or 12 years until recently they got a tip. Uh, Somebody had them, and they wanted to return them and not be prosecuted. So they eventually were, were found. But, um, yeah, those shoes are so iconic. And I have a replica pair at home on display. I, I, I just think that it's the, the greatest prop in movie history. I've seen the pair that you have, and it's, it's, they're so realistic looking. <laughs> like, it's hard to believe they are not the actual ruby slippers. Yeah, yeah. Well done. I love them. <laughs> All right. Uh, number four on your list. Well, I am doing a little shuffling because I also had The Wizard of Oz uh, on my list. But one of my other movies kind of along that line of these fantastical kind of adventure films was um, Willy Wonka and the um, Chocolate Factory. Oh, yeah. Or Charlie and the... I can't remember. The first one was Willy Wonka. Willy Wonka. And the the second one one was Charlie that had Johnny Depp Depp in it. Okay, so the first one, the original, is one of my favorite films. I can watch it over and over as I don't know anyone who does not enjoy that movie or imitating the little munchkins when they sing their <laughs> the song. The Oompa Loompas. The Oompa Loompas. Oh, that's right. Not the munchkins. I've got <laughs> Wizard of Oz on the brain. Um, oh, I loved it. It had a dark side. You know, it's kind of like yeah. the seven deadly sins with all these kids. Their <laughs> different obsessions and they all get annihilated except yeah. for... You can take that movie and cut it into like a horror movie trailer when you look at all the kids, the way they get picked off throughout the movie. Yes, yes. Actually, I have a sound sound clip for you. I actually get anxiety during that scene 
because he has it in his little hand and he's holding it up and the crowd is mobbing him and anyone could have grabbed that yes. ticket out of his hand. Oh. Luckily, he held onto it and ran home. But yes. um, I agree. It's, it's one of my all-time favorite movies and, and Willy Wonka, uh, the performance by Gene Wilder oh. is, I think, one of the I, greatest performances in yes, movie history. It is. It's so perfect. He's so, so he's good. lovable, but he's crazy and scary and yes. like works all those things Who into it. Who else could make such a crazy kind of evil, addictive, <laughs> strategizing, manipulative guy so lovable and likable? <laughs> you still love him. And the song that he sings, I wish you had. That clip, the imagination song. Yeah, I every don't time have that one. Every time I hear that song, it just—I don't know—it gives me chills. <laughs> just love it. Anything do, is uh, possible. I do have this clip. Good day, sir. <laughs> <laughs> I said good day. <laughs> That's how you end an argument. <laughs> good day, sir. Yeah, that role. No one else could have could have, uh, you know captured that the essence of that Willy Wonka but Gene Wilder it's him at his best it's yeah iconic. and the, talk about you know we talked about child performances earlier there's some really great child performances but I yeah. think my personal favorite is Veruca yes. Veruca Salt yes. you know I want a golden ticket she's fantastic <laughs> she's in that movie so great I yeah. love her she wants what <laughs> she wants and she's not shy about vocalizing yeah. it I yeah. love her she's great yeah. I've only met one cast member from that movie, and that was uh, uh, the Mike TV, uh, the TV guy. He was at the Motor City Comic Con. Um, I'd love to meet Charlie and some of the other cast members. That would be fantastic. Yeah, that would be amazing. So, all right, that's a good one. That's right up my alley. All right, now we're in the top three. Um, and uh, in my opinion, these are the top movies ever made that I watch over and over and over. Here's number three on my list. Steven Spielberg presents Back to the Future, a Robert Zemeckis film. Marty leads an ordinary life. No McFly ever amounted to anything in the history of Hill Valley. Yeah, well, history is going to change. And 1985 is not his year. But Dr. Brown is about to change all that. Are you telling me that you built a time machine out of a DeLorean? <laughs> I, uh, again, you know, I have vivid memories of seeing this movie in the theater. Again, I, I kind of dismiss this movie because Michael J. Fox was on um, uh, Family Ties, and my sisters were smitten with him, and they were like, we want to go see Michael J. Fox. And, and, and it was like a Michael J. Fox movie. And I'm like, what is this thing? I, I didn't know what it was. I didn't know what to expect. And I remember the theater I saw it in was Abbey Theater um, in uh I think it's the uh, Madison Heights area. Now it, it's a electronic store or something. Um, but I went in and it, again, it was unlike anything I had ever seen when he goes back in time and his mother has a crush on him. You're like, what is happening here? It was, it was thrilling. It was exciting. It was funny. It was, it was apps. I mean, there's general or genuine tension, like, will he get back? Mm. Um, my God, what a great movie. And I've seen this movie more times than I can count. Um, know every line, every beat, everything about this movie. <laughs> um, I never went in expecting to, to love it as much as I did, and it, it's become one of my all-time favorite movies. Yeah, it is. it is such a feel-good, fun ride that you just don't have 
any idea where it's going. I yeah. mean, they're jumping through time and yeah, the relationship with the mother was so <laughs> awkward, but necessary. And yeah, it's such a surprising, fun movie and doc. Oh, Christopher wait, Lloyd. Lloyd. Christopher yes, Lloyd, yep. Again, a role that no one else could embody but him. Yeah. He's so great as the zany professor. And yeah. Yeah. We had known him as Jim from Taxi, yeah. and uh, I don't know yeah. what else he had done before Back to the Future, but boy, did he knock that out of the park! He and then really he had did. he did a bunch of great stuff after that too. But yeah, um, yeah, and this movie's had such an impact on me. I've, I've visited several locations. I've visited the McFly House and uh, Doc Brown's 1955 mansion. That's in uh, Burbank, um, or is Pasadena? It's in Pasadena. Um, I snuck into the uh, church on Highland near Hollywood. Um, and uh, oh, the Methodist, the, church. the Methodist yeah. church, that's where they filmed the enchantment under the sea dance in the and gym. Yeah. The, yeah. The gymnasium. Yeah. There. yeah. And, uh, it's so cool. The guy that was there, he saw me there. He knew I didn't belong there and I thought he was going to kick me out. And instead he gave me a tour of the place and showed oh. me where they filmed scenes and everything. And, nice. uh, it was really great. Uh, so yeah, this movie's had such a huge impact on me. I own a lot of the replica props and everything. And if I was, if I was to buy, my dream car, if I had the resources to buy the dream car, number one on my list would be the Back to the Future DeLorean. Oh, I yeah. know people who own replicas, and I'm just jealous. And I've actually seen the original DeLorean. It's on display at the Peterson Museum in Los Angeles. Um, mm -hmm. That car was put together from original parts and the original car and, and refurbished and now on display at the Peterson. I've so, seen it. It's, yeah. it's something to behold. The yes. flux capacitor, yes. time circuits. It's so iconic. And yeah. to think that the DeLorean would be pretty much a forgotten car if it wasn't featured in this film as the time machine. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah so that was yeah. great. Great. I don't know. I'm at a loss for words. It was just... <laughs> Again, one of those movies that takes you by surprise and leaves you feeling all the emotions. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. Definitely. All right. We're in your top three. What do you got? Well, this movie, I haven't watched it in a while, but I remember I fell in love with it. I was so moved by it. The English Patient. Really? Okay. I was so moved. I loved Kristen Scott Thomas and Ray Fiennes and Juliet Binoche and... Um, Oh my gosh, I just thought it was this wonderful tale of love and loss and war and faith. And I I thought it was beautiful. There's so many wonderful scenes um, between the two different love uh, stories, the characters of Kristen Scott Thomas and Juliet Binoche. And that wonderful scene where Juliet is um, uh, her, I can't remember his name, but her love interest, this beautiful man, and he you know, creates this wonderfully romantic environment, kind of like in a barn with this these ropes and these, like, candles and lights strung around, and he's mm. kind of letting her swing around. And it's at a, at a period of, you know, death and destruction, but they find this these, this little moment together to, to share their love and affection for one another. And it was just so touching to me. I can't remember how old I was when I saw it. I feel like mm. I was in my 20s. Did it come out in the It was in 90s? the 90s because Seinfeld oh, okay. made their, that famous reference to it where uh, Elaine hated it for some yeah. reason, but she kept finding herself back in the theater seeing it and like <laughs> rolling her eyes and going, I hate this movie. 
<laughs> um, I never saw it. I never got around to seeing it. I remember it was a pretty big deal when it came out. Um, but being like a, a single guy, I don't know if the English patient is the type of movie where a single guy would make an effort to go into the theater and sit down for, what is it? Three hours long or something. And so I've yeah. never gotten around to seeing it. Oh, well, you might want to check it out. It's, it's moving. It's beautiful. Mm. I don't know. I can see where some people wouldn't like it mm-hmm. and perhaps feel, you know, that it's too sappy or too, you know, I, I just loved it. I thought the characters, the actors were strong and wonderful. And, um, yeah, it just gets you just, Oh, there's the scene where, Oh, Kristen (laughs) Scott Thomas has to leave. Ray finds character behind. And, Oh, it's just, it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. (laughs) I loved it. I'm a sucker for that. (laughs) (laughs) You mentioned Juliette Binoche a couple of times. Was she, was she in shock a lot? Yes, Chocolat. That's another one that I could have put on my list today. She's so I good I actually that. saw Chocolat in the theater, and I really enjoyed it a See? lot. See? <laughs> I'm impressed. You would like, you would, she could do no wrong in my eyes. She's mm. one of my, if not my favorite actress. I just love wow. everything she's ever done. All right. She's superb. Yeah. Interesting. All right, number two on my list, a movie that I consider the perfect movie. I can't find any flaws with this movie at all. <laughs> no time to argue. Throw me the idol. I throw you the whip. Give me the whip. Adios, senor. Ah, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's a good one. Came out in 1981. I was 15 years old when this came out. And again, another vivid memory of seeing it in a the theater. This is one of the dollar store or dollar movies that we my mom took us to go see. And the thing I remember is that imagine a mom with four young children walking in in the middle of the movie, sitting down. And so I came in in the middle of Raiders of the Lost Ark, watched it to the end. Then there was another movie that played, which I don't remember what it was. Then we stayed to watch the first half of Raiders of the Lost Ark. So the first time (laughs) I saw that movie, I saw it the second half first and the first half second. Um, but again, I think it's a perfect movie. Again, another Steven Spielberg movie. I worship Steven Spielberg. Um, this was a collaboration. George Lucas and Steven Spielberg kind of had this idea while they were, uh, going through a divorce, I think on a beach in Hawaii. And, uh, they, 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 I guess, um, Steven Spielberg always wanted to do sort of a James Bond type movie, but for some reason he wasn't able to do uh, direct James Bond movies. So they were, they said, we need to come up with our own James Bond type character. And they collaborated and, and, uh, were influenced by the serials of the, uh, you know, the forties and fifties or whatever, and came up with Raiders of the Lost Ark. And, and it's just uh, such a perfect movie. Mm-hmm. Now the sequel, um, uh, Temple of Doom, it's not even Temple of Doom's not even in my top 100. I wasn't a big fan of Temple of Doom. I thought it was too dark, too gross, too disturbing. Um, but then I felt they redeemed themselves with um, uh, the Holy Grail, the Last Crusade, with Sean Connery, James Bond, of course. Yeah. Um, so I love, I love Last Crusade, but um, Raiders of the Lost Ark to me is a perfect movie. Um, what are your memories of Raiders of the Lost Ark? Oh, just thrilling, just a ride, good time, swooning. You know the hats, the whole outfit, <laughs> the masculinity. It was, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it was enthralling. It was fun. Women love him. Men want to be him. 
Indiana Jones. Indiana Jones. Um, and of course, you know, Harrison Ford came off of Han Solo, played Indiana Jones. You know, and this is what's interesting about this is there are a lot of actors who get typecast in a role and they complain that, well, I can't get work after playing an iconic character. But think about what Harrison Ford has accomplished. He played Han Solo, an iconic character, was able to become Indiana Jones, an iconic character. And yeah. went on to have this amazing movie career where he played the Jack Ryan characters and and all the other roles that he played over time. So when an actor says, oh, I'm, I'm typecast, come on, give me a break. If Harrison Ford yeah. can escape those iconic characters that he played, anyone else can. Yeah. So uh, he's on. He's up there on my list of actors I would love to meet in person. Oh, he's my yeah. hero. Absolutely. The stories. Uh, all right, top two. We're oh, down to the top boy. two. What do you got? It's getting tough. There's <laughs> still like a hundred that I could choose from, yeah. but I'll pick one of the ones that I walked out of the theater when I saw this movie, and I was like, "What was that?" <laughs> like all the cells in my body have, you know, shifted and replaced themselves while I was watching this movie. Like I felt like I, you know, we have cell turnover every 24 hours or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. I felt like it happened during that film, the matrix. Oh yeah. Oh God, this movie. It, I walked out of the theater feeling like I could never look at the world the same. Mm -hmm. So many metaphors for all of the systems that we live under that control us. Oh my yeah. God, you, you just, it's like, again, it's like seeing the Oz behind the curtain. It's like this movie peeled back the layers of how we are slowly turning into these robots. We get dumber as mm. the AI gets smarter yeah. and we are reducing down and transferring our brain to a cell phone now, that little computer. We're becoming mm -hmm. computers, and the first thing to replace our actual brain is in the palm of our hand 24-7. Yeah. And at and some point, you're probably going to plug it in right into the oh back of your God. head. Oh, my God, yes. That, oh, yeah. that, that scene, to me, is one of the best film scenes. I love when a, an eyebrowless Keanu Reeves, <laughs> naked, wakes up in a vat of gel, and he, he has this awakening after he takes the pill and he's pulling out all of these the wires, the cord. cables yeah, out yeah. of him and he feels the one in the back of his neck and he looks around and here is this endless sea of all of these pods with humans yeah. just like him as batteries, which I feel like is how we are to the tech giants today. We are the data. We are the, we are the batteries with all of the data that they collect on us with all everything we do online for those companies it's the same thing going yeah. on today and oh that uh, that awakening and and pulling that out and sliding down the hole it, to yeah. me i was like whoa yeah to quote another famous keanu <laughs> <laughs> whoa whoa you know what's funny is you were describing the movie but before you re revealed what it is i was sitting here thinking wow you know the only movie that really had that major effect on me was The Matrix. And then oh, you were like, The Matrix. The Matrix. I felt the same way. I, I yeah. came out of the theater, like, touching things. Yeah. Because things didn't <laughs> feel real. Like, it had that yeah. such a huge impact on me. And I never looked at the world the same way again. And, and I started looking into the computer simulation theory, which is one of the theories of, 
the existence of the universe and yeah. and I question everything and when I see something weird I'm like is that a glitch in the matrix like man that movie had an impact on me it really did it did I don't know anyone who saw it that walked away feeling that they looked at the world the same as yeah. they did before it's just yeah it was the can we just talk about how awesome it was <laughs> when oh Carrie I forget her Carrie name Ann Carrie Moss. Ann Moss yep. when she has Trinity oh when Trinity has her breakout first scene where she's running away from an agent yeah and she's jumping and leaping over buildings and like yeah. has that one that suspension that was the first time that we had seen. Um, the bullet time the, effect. The yeah. bullet time effect and them jumping and suspending in yeah. slow motion. Yeah. That was revolutionary at that yeah. time to, to have those kinds of effects. And it changed everything all the way down to like commercials for Cheese Whiz or something. Like yeah. all everything after that was influenced by that achievement. Yeah. Of that I remember film. early on in the movie when she's in the building and they're sending people in to get her. And when she like leaps up freezes and the camera rotates around her yeah that was early on in the movie and you're like what is going on what did i sign up for here it, again it was unlike anything it i'd ever seen chills still to this yeah. day and yeah like those scenes where the agent is after him yeah every every scene is um advances your your um gosh your uh I want to say your investment in these characters in this world so deeply. There's not one second of that film that isn't uh, supposed to be there. Like it's Mm -hmm. every single beat is so uh, further taking you down this, this adventure that is just blowing your mind scene to scene. I love it. There's nothing better to me still to this day. Unfortunately, the sequels didn't quite live up. I thought the second one was sort of an entertaining action flick, yeah. but it just wasn't as, as, as mind blowing as the first one. And then I thought the third one was really disappointing because it never really took us back to the matrix. It all took place in the real world. And so unfortunately the, the trilogy as a whole didn't quite live up to the first one, but Apparently, there's another one in the works. Um, oh, there's a fourth really? Matrix movie coming out. I just read today, as a matter of fact, that unfortunately <laughs> Morpheus is not supposed to be in this next oh. one. Um, but yeah, um, uh, Keanu's coming back to step into the role of Neo one more time. Yeah, so, I love the yeah. cast, like Tank and yeah. Um, oh, I forget all their names, but they, like it, it was such a good cast. Yeah. everyone was cast so perfectly on that team. And again, the messages about god and about systems and about humans being a virus like there's just there's so many uh metaphors for all Mm -hmm. these different systems and industry that control our every choice and we are just kind of playing along in the matrix yes i love it it's fantastically done i remember a year or two after matrix had come out i was an extra on a baseball movie that was filming at tiger stadium called uh hardball and uh, mm-hmm. Keanu Reeves was the star of the movie. And so here I am sitting at Tiger Stadium, staring at Keanu Reeves going, <laughs> that's Neo. Like, to me, yeah. at that time, he was Neo. And yeah. it was pretty cool. Pretty cool. He's so, great in that film. He's great he, in everything he does. He yeah. yeah, he's good. 
All right, on to my number one movie. No surprises here. Your jaw is not going to drop open. Luke Skywalker was just a farm boy until he received a mysterious message from a princess. Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. She's beautiful. Star Wars, starring Mark Hamill. I'm Luke Skywalker. I'm here to rescue you. Aren't you a little short for a stormtrooper? Harrison Ford. Boring conversation anyway. I think we took a wrong turn. Carrie Fisher. Alec Guinness. You can't win, Darth. If you strike me down, I shall become more powerful than you can possibly imagine. So this movie uh, came out in 1977. Um, I was 10 years old. Uh, I still have the first magazine that I ever laid eyes on that had these characters um, on the cover of this magazine. And I'm like, what is this? And I remember begging my mom to, to go see Star Wars because I had known about it. But it, when it first came out, it was it was kind of in limited release. I think it only was released in maybe 40 theaters or something across the nation. And so there were all these reviews and people saying, this thing is revolutionary. This is mind-blowing. And I'm like, I got to see this movie. So finally, I have this memory of being in a station wagon. It was my family with another family. And we pulled into the parking lot of a movie theater called Beacon East, which is in East Detroit. And I remember seeing Star Wars on the marquee. And I'm like, finally, finally seeing Star Wars. And it just blew me away. As a 10-year-old kid, there weren't a lot of things on TV or in the theaters that was like geared toward me that other than like Disney or, you know, kiddie movies and, you know, this swashbuckling space adventure that seemed so realistic, like this world could actually exist. And then of course, you know, the toys came out later and I was obsessed. I had a paper route, so I would buy my own toys and figures, which I still have to this day. And uh, no other movie has had the impact on me that, that Star Wars had on me as a kid and to this day. And uh, it was kind of sad when um, uh, The Rise of Skywalker came out, knowing that that story was complete, that that story was sort of told. And I'm like, will I never get another Star Wars movie in my lifetime? <laughs> you know, we do have The Mandalorian on Disney+, Plus, and there's a second season in the works right now. But yes. um, boy, oh boy, that movie just had such a huge impact on me. Do you have memories of, of seeing Star oh, Wars in your yes. youth? Yes, yes, my mom, again, bless her heart. I think she, the, the wonderful thing about this movie is that I think even though my mom might have, you know, complained about what movie do you want to go see? And we're like, Star Wars <laughs> for the seventh time. You know, we did. she took us seven times. Wow. She sat through that, bless her heart. But I, I think she enjoyed it just as much, to yeah. be honest. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just remember feeling again like, Anything is possible, you know? There are these worlds that, the inventiveness of these worlds that they created and the characters, and it just made it seem that your dreams can come true. Like, anything is possible. Your imagination can take you, you know, to these places to create a film like this and to, to have faith and believe in yourself. And I just loved, loved every second. Yeah. And it was the first movie that got me curious about filmmaking too, because I would buy magazines and stuff that showed the models and, and, you know, I was like disappointed when I found out that there was a guy inside R2D2. I'm like, really? I thought he was a real robot. Um, 
And so I was fascinated by the process that went into making these movies. And I, I, was, yeah. I learned about filmmaking through Star Wars. So Yeah, it was incredible. Yeah. It was, again, yeah. it was like the Matrix of the 70s. It was the, the technology that they had. It's still, it's so, it was so good and ahead of its time then. Like, it still holds up pretty it decent really today, you know? Like, yeah. it wears well. It's, it's probably only second to Wizard of Oz as far as movie that I saw more than any others. I, I've seen it so many times I've lost count. Yeah, yeah. The force will be with you. Always. <laughs> Thank you, Ben. All right, the number one movie on your list. What is your all-time favorite, greatest movie? It is so hard to choose. It is so hard because I have three that I'm debating upon right now. <laughs> and... Ah, all three of them are kind of like romance, like big sweeping epic romance. But um, I am going to go with the one that I think, oh gosh. All right, I'll go with this one because I've seen it more recently. So that's why I think I'm leaning towards it a little more. It's um, Call Me By Your Name. It's a coming of age love story between two male characters, Army Hammer and Timothy Chalamet. They are brilliant. They are wonderful. The whole movie, the film, is set in the most idyllic, small Italian village. And you feel it's like it's summertime. Watching this movie is like going on vacation with them. You feel like you've had, uh, oh, you feel the summer. You can taste the peaches. You can feel the heat and the water and the stirring heat of the romance between these two characters as the young uh, Elio is discovering his sexuality and dating this girl, but then feeling these feelings for Oliver. And, oh, the sexual chemistry is just, helpable and it's it's wonderfully filmed there's a great conversation at the end with, between elio and his dad that is so refreshing to me mm. to see a touching honest frank real conversation between a father and his son mm. about honoring your feelings and being true to yourself and true to who you are and not shying away from that that i i just thought was so refreshing to see men being able to be emotional with each other and you know not ashamed of who they are and i thought it was a wonderful hmm. healing vibrant message and again it, and it, it was like a summer vacation all in, wrapped <laughs> up in it with a big you know big bow of lemonade <laughs> it was wonderful I can't add anything to that because I have not seen it. I, I just know that it came out just a few years ago. Yes. And uh, it was like award-winning and critically acclaimed and all that. But I yeah. never saw it, never got around to seeing it. And yeah. So I can't add anything to your praise. It was refreshing. Let's just say that. Tall drink of water. What are some, you said there were like three you were debating. Just throw out some other titles. Out of Africa. Okay. Another big sweeping epic romance, Meryl, Meryl Streep, Meryl Streep Robert and Robert Redford. Redford. Yeah. And, oh, and oh, it's just so so good. It's um, again the the trials and tribulations of this woman at the time. I love this character who has 
has to overcome all of these obstacles of unfortunate circumstances. And she, you know, is handed lemons from her husband and uh, turns it into lemonade and gets through syphilis <laughs> from her <laughs> philandering husband. Feel good. Movie of the You know, sun. builds a thriving coffee plantation in an area in Africa where they had never actually grown coffee before. <laughs> builds a school for children, falls hmm. in love. And, you know, the love, the romance between her and Robert Redford is, oh, it just, again, it's one of those that just hits you in your heart and you just are rooting for them to be together. But he's a free spirit and she's an independent free spirit. And sometimes it's really hard for two independent spirits to kind of make a go of it. And they don't end up together and it's tragic. Mm. And it just, Mm. again, it makes you weep weep for the loss of what could have been for their love, which is also what I love about Call Me By Your Name is in that same vein. In the ending, the last three minutes of that movie, to me, were Oscar-worthy, where Timothy Chalamet's character receives news from Oliver months later after their affair, and he's staring. It's Christmas time now, and he's staring into this um, actual roasting chestnuts on a fire scene <laughs> and and he's just bawling mm. and it's so raw and it's you you're not human if you can't cry and mourn the loss of what could have been mm. for that love with him it's just it's so raw and it's oh it's a brilliant performance by him mm. he's he's another one of my new favorite actors okay. but both he and army hammer are, are fabulous my honorable mention, if, if I showed some restraint and kind of lumped the Star Wars movies together and freed up a space on my top ten, uh, what would have been next on my list uh, is A Christmas Story. Oh, um, another so movie, good. because, you know, they show it every year yeah. for 24 hours around yeah. Christmas time. Uh, I've seen this movie so many times, and it's so authentic and so real that I actually had a, a, a debate with someone who thought the movie was made like in 1940. And I'm like, no, I saw it in the theaters when it came out. It was like the mid eighties. Um, and they said, no, 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 no. This movie came out in 1940. And I'm like, no, it didn't. It's like, uh, uh, the, uh, actors in it have been on other things on television and film. And, right. Right. And, um, and so, yeah, that's how authentic the movie is. Is there's people who are like, this was made in 1940. Wasn't it? And I think part of the reason was is that the movie um, came out around Thanksgiving, and I saw it in the theater when it came out, and it didn't do well, and it was out of the theaters before Christmas rolled around, if you can believe it. Mm. They pulled it out of the theaters, mm. and it wasn't until the repeated television viewings where it found an audience and became this Christmas classic. Um, but yeah, despite the fact that it's a Christmas movie, um, it's, it's, uh, one of my favorite movies of all time and I could watch it over and over and over again. So. I feel like it's a movie you have to watch every holiday because yeah. it's, it's funny and it's sad a little bit <laughs> and yeah, it's a feel good film though. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, definitely. And all right, that pretty much wraps up our look at our 10 favorite movies of all time. Hope you had fun. Hope you enjoyed it. Thank you for having me. Came all the way down from Hollywood, California <laughs> to take part in this. Hooray for <laughs> All right. Hopefully we can do this again. Absolutely. So, and thank everybody for watching and listening, and we'll see you next time on 
top 10. 